0: really good for like the shorter term, hey, we want to watch the TV show now and have no buffering. Am I barking up? Am I explaining this the right way? Well, what I'd say is IPFS, the problem
1: IPFS had is it doesn't have an incentive layer. It doesn't have a token. It is just an open Um. source technology and a protocol. So that's where these Web3 storage protocols came in, Filecoin, Arweave, which added an incentive layer to storage because right now the problem with ipfs is if you like obviously crypto is very tribal and people have very strong opinions on certain technologies and stuff but the great part about ipfs not having a token is everybody loves it everybody across every ecosystem loves ipfs
0: but the thing is
1: they don't actually love
0: what is up everyone good morning good afternoon good evening what an awesome weekend it was i'm like super loaded up for a phenomenal week there's so much going on from from east denver to like everyone getting really excited so many cool products are being launched lately right like there's been so many cool things and fun that we've been having in crypto land cool products are finally launching different nfts so much developer activity and growth on bitcoin there's a lot going on and really excited because from from May through like the holiday season and, and through like January, February, it was just like bad news bears, bad news constantly. One of those really cool companies that we're going to introduce you to today, it's called Fleek. And I'm excited to introduce my guest today in just a moment. And we were doing putting together the, the research for the show. We're really excited because there are so many technologies that were built over from like, I would say from, from Uniswap but onwards. And one of these from like 2016, 2017, you remember we were promised all these technologies a few years ago that blockchain was gonna change the world and we, from things like IPFS, which was the interplanetary file exchange system that was gonna change the world of decentralized storage to tokens and NFTs. What had happened was products couldn't launch yet that were user-friendly and it actually can do these things in Web3 just simply because it takes time to build these things. And we can theorize and talk about them and have fun, but it just takes time to launch them. And Fleek was a company that was founded in 2018 as a Web3 developer platform, but it also launched as a content delivery network. And we're going to talk about what that is. To give an example of one of those, you have Amazon Web Services, which pretty much I think like 80% of the of the whole internet or something like that is and Cloudflare is another one for an example where the whole world is hosted. And then we have these technologies that promised so many things. And now finally we can connect them together and launch products like Fleek. And, And I'm going to introduce my guest Harrison Hines. Thank you so much for coming on the show today.
1: Yeah, thank you very much. It's awesome to be here. I'm a big fan.
0: Thank you. You started your path in blockchain at Consensus where you founded Token Foundry and you were the CEO and led the company through all the early days. In 2018, you founded Fleek because you wanted to provide and show like a truly decentralized, not just like from, from when you're developing software and building on applications like from the GitHub stages, but actually like the, de- the deployment of all that data. We were promised a decentralized internet, but that decentralized internet is still being hosted on places like Amazon web, you know, AWS and all these other places you launched fleek and now you're at 50 employees. You got 64,000 projects using probably more now get 1 million monthly file uploads. And you're also connecting long-term storage with short-term. Well, thanks for coming on the show. I know I give a crazy introduction. I'm just really excited about it. Oh, good. I loved it. So tell me, tell me what a content delivery network is and how that became Kind of the backbone of the internet as we know it today. I mean, we're using it right now to record and then distribute this show, right?
1: Yeah, most likely. I would say, really, if you think about Fleet and the decentralized network we're building, we refer to it as an edge network. And if you look at like just the web today and a lot of the trends in the 2010s, or let's say like the first, you know, 20 years of, of, this century a big trend in in web was like moving to the cloud but now what you're seeing is the big trend being moving to the edge and that trend was started by content delivery networks that was essentially like the first edge service that found like success and was really helpful for the web mostly from like a cost and performance standpoint and so so, think about a content delivery network. It's kind of like the digital equivalent of like UPS or like a distribution network. Like, basically, it's you have all these people all around the world. And so, when you use a big platform like YouTube or Netflix or any, it could be a small website too, you have people all over the world trying to access your content. And so if, they're, if you just have the content for your website, the files, the images, whatever else makes up that application, if they're all just querying it, let's say from one data center in AWS US West, it's very non-performant, especially if like someone is in Asia or all over the world requesting it from this one place. And also it's a lot more expensive to pull data out of storage than it is to pull like data out of memory. And so what a content delivery network does is essentially it caches content in multiple geographic regions around the world. So a typical CDN might have like 200 to 300 pop locations, which are called points of presence.
0: Hmm. And the
1: whole idea is you want to be as close to the end user requesting the data as possible. So it loads as fast as possible. So you don't have things like buffering or loading when someone's trying to watch a video. or those days? Yeah, exactly. And so so that's how CDM started and where they found success. But now what you're seeing in web trends, especially with more modern web development, where it's all like Jamstack and static front ends, and you're just calling out to APIs and, and things like that, People are starting to put other edge, like other services uh, that were traditional web services on the edge. So things like server side rendering or serverless functions or edge handlers or different things that kind of can now, like sometimes uh, people are putting data on the edge. So it's really like just a huge movement in web, mostly for performance, but also cost, but also from a decentralization standpoint. Uh, it's a lot more and just like a security standpoint, it's a lot more secure because you don't have one central point of, of failure where there's just one server people could attack. You're sort of breaking up this application and it can be run uh, uh, or a lot of parts of it could be run by pretty much, you know, all these different infrastructure setups and locations around the world.
0: So is that where we're at now? It's like we've built all these different pieces it's like almost fractured. And now what you're doing with Fleek is you're starting to connect these technologies, but also, and what we were impressed by this is that you actually have a product for a regular user for, for everyone you have. Anyone wants to build a website right now or deploy it. You can go on Fleek and, and be able to connect your GitHub and all of a sudden you could use the technology that we've been promised for the last couple of years and technology that we were really excited about. So when I go on, and I'm deploying a website with you, right? What, what am I not doing now? Like, how, what are you, how are you getting to the end user in a fully decentralized way, like you said? Because at some point, if you're having to trust like a centralized middleman, then there's really no point of doing what you're doing, right?
1: 100%. And that's a very good question.
0: And that is
1: exactly why we ended up deciding to build Fleet Network. You know, a few years after launching Fleek, the platform. So, Fleek is oh, really interesting. Yeah, you could bifurcate Fleek into two different things. One is the Fleek platform that's live today, that is just very user friendly, web three developer platform. However, the legacy version of Fleek, which is like if you go to fleek.co, that's the platform you'll see today, that is a lot like a lot of these. Service providers, or developer platforms, or just products in Web three that I call like sort of Web two point five, where you're facilitating Web three usage, but you're using Web two infrastructure in order to do that. So on the legacy version of Fleek, or like if you look at anyone providing like IPFS pinning or services, or you know things like Infura or Alchemy. It's like you have these centralized middlemen sitting on top of web three infrastructure to facilitate it, partially because it's not performant to like use the protocols directly or especially to fetch data from them or things like that. But we really wanted to like fully lean into the web three side of things because yes, the legacy version of Fleek requires, like, for example, us to run IPFS nodes. And so those nodes need to be run somewhere. And so we have to run those nodes on AWS or DigitalOcean or other cloud platforms. So it's not really from a decentralization and censorship resistance standpoint much better than Web2 solutions. But that's where Fleet Network comes in because now with Fleet Network, we will be able to essentially almost fully decentralize the underlying infrastructure that makes a platform like fleek operate where now like the storage of that data can be on any web3 protocol it could be filecoin it could be arweave it could be whatever the user wants. and then fleek network sort of serves as this like a term that like If you think of Web2 platforms that the Fleek platform is similar to, you have things like Netlify and Vercel. And they pioneered this term that's called essentially like an application delivery network. So that's like another kind of like term to describe an edge network. But that's essentially what Fleek network is. You have kind of like these cold storage Web3 protocols where you can store data or do all sorts of things. And then Fleek is essentially like this sort of like hot cache layer that can kind of orchestrate and facilitate the real performance and low latency needs required that before Fleet Network, the entire industry today uses Cloudflare in front of any NFT, any NFT marketplace, anybody facilitating usage of IPFS or Filecoin or Arweave, anyone who's providing RPC endpoints to Ethereum or these other networks, everybody is using a CDN in front of their infrastructure, whether it's an API or static files or content or whatever, because that is ultimately what the developers and the end users care about most is performance. And so, yes, everyone, Fleek included, was forced to use Cloudflare to give that like, performance that developers and end users really wanted. Now with Fleek Network, we are able to fully like remove the centralized infrastructure pieces of our stack and replace them with various web3 protocols so the fleek platform it does surface fleek network but it also surfaces many other decentralized web infrastructure protocols and so the way you could think about the new fleek platform is legacy developer platforms are a lot like hotels they own the inventory and they rent it out to people. The new Fleet platform is much more like Airbnb, where we are just a facilitator, a marketplace, connecting underlying decentralized web infrastructure to developers who want to use it, but packaging it in a very familiar and seamless developer experience that people are familiar with and packaged into products developers already use and are familiar with and want to use. And so like, that's really how we think of the new fleet like, platform is like Uber, Airbnb. They decentralized basically taxi riding and like hotel rooms. Now web infrastructure is getting decentralized, but you really need like a platform to facilitate it in like a seamless, abstracted, yeah. user-friendly way to really make things happen and for that industry to take off. And so that's really how we view the Fleek platform is essentially like a distribution channel for all these various decentralized web infrastructure technologies, Fleek Network included. But yes, like to answer your question, you are seeing an explosion in all sorts of different decentralized web web infrastructure covering the full stack, storage, databases, compute, everything, CDNs with Fleek Network. But now you kind of need to package that all together and provide it in a seamless experience to really hit that like inflection point where this can be a viable alternative, like you said, to not only Web3 devs, but to all devs who might not care so much about the Web3 benefits. But on a cost performance alone standpoint, we should be able to be very, very competitive with existing platforms.
0: You said it right there. That's it. That's how we hit critical mass. That's how we succeed with crypto. With all this technology that we've been building and and doing and spending our time on, we have to not only make it a viable alternative, but it has to be better than, and the user interface has to be better than what everyone's using now. Because if it's not, then it's just going to stay very niche. And so... hundred percent. I remember when IPFS, and I'm showing my Bitcoin age here, but I remember when IPFS first launched, it was very exciting. And I was very excited about it because, like, decent, going back to the storage day, Store J, like when, that, when Sean Wilkinson launched that, I think it was, I don't know, 2015 or something like that. I was very excited about the ability to have like decentralized data storage. The, the biggest thing I learned on this show is how much I don't know about, about so much. And what I didn't know yeah. about storage is that there's a difference between long term storage and then short term delivery, content delivery. And with long-term storage, IPFS was good because it incentivized through its token mechanism and incentivized people to, to like open up their, their, their hard drives and all their data centers and allow people to say, come and store your data here. But it wasn't, it wasn't really good for like the shorter term, hey, we want to watch the TV show now and have no buffering. Am I barking up? Am I explaining this the right way? Well, what I'd say is IPFS... The problem
1: IPFS had is it doesn't have an incentive layer. It doesn't have a token. It is just an open Um. source technology and protocol. So that's where these Web3 storage protocols came in Filecoin, Arweave, which added an incentive layer to storage. Because right now, the problem with IPFS is if you like, obviously, crypto is very tribal and people have very strong opinions on certain technologies and stuff. But the great part about IPFS not having a token is everybody loves it. Everybody across every ecosystem loves IPFS. But the thing is, they don't actually love IPFS as a storage layer. What they love IPFS for is the content addressing and basically being able to generate a unique content identifier for each unique piece of content. So that is really why people use IPFS. But up until today, Because like these Web3 storage protocols or other storage solutions don't speak IPFS, you basically, you were forced to store on the IPFS layer. And then if you wanted to also store on Filecoin or Arweave, you basically had to store twice and there was no communication between those storage layers. But now with Fleek Network, we will basically be able to make that connection because the way a CDN works is basically you give us a file and you tell us the underlying origin of where that file is stored. That's how all Web2 CDMs work. So maybe you store your files on Amazon AWS S3. Oh, so
0: it's like the geographic
1: points? So when you store your file on S3 or whatever, you don't really care about geography. That's just where your file is stored and lives and you feel pretty confident like it'll always be there. But then you you basically put that file on the CDN. So the CDN does not guarantee they're going to store the files for you. And if that file is not popular and isn't requested, it will eventually fall off the CDN layer. But that's okay, because then if it's ever requested again, the CDN has a mapping of where that file lives, where the origin is, is basically what it's called. So... If the file is no longer on the CDM level, it just says, okay, well, we know the location, the HTTP URL of where this file is stored in S3 or in Filecoin or in Rweave or wherever. So basically, you use both. But because, like I was saying, there's no communication between the IPFS layer and these storage layers, you basically have to store on both. And there was no interaction or connection between the two. So if a file ever Fell off IPFS because a pinning provider went down, or you know you've seen things like when FTF, FTX shut down and their NFTs all wouldn't load because they shut down their infrastructure. So that's the problem you have. But now with Fleek Network, we are basically this connective layer where we bring the benefits of IPFS content address, addressing, unique content identifiers, and we make it storage layer agnostic because now. We could give you your CID because Fleet Network has a native IPFS integration. And because we store that mapping of content identifier to the underlying origin or multiple origins where that file is stored or backed up to, in perpetuity, we store that information. So at any point in the future, if you come to Flink Network with a content identifier, so long as it's stored on, one of, on the origin that was provided... So if it's Arweave, you know, it's permanent, so it'll always be there. But if it's Filecoin, you know as long as you re-up your deals and it's stored there, we could always fetch it. And you're not reliant on a centralized pinning provider who you're at the risk of if they go down or out of business. You don't have the thought. Fi- it's completely trustless. And because all these pinning providers, they are forced to store on centralized infrastructure. They cannot use Filecoin or Arweave as the storage layers Because again, there's no communication. So they would just have to store twice because they would have to store it on the IPFS layer in order for it to be accessible via IPFS. But with Fleek Network, we are going to like, we will drastically improve the decentralization, censorship resistance, and just long term sustainability and just like trustlessness of IPFS. Because if you think of IPFS today, It's really like a federated system. It's not like you don't need permission to join, but it's just a few centralized companies who are storing IPFS content on their centralized infrastructure. And that is IPFS today. And that's really not like a good end state for IPFS. So yeah, like Fleet Network will be like a very, very good thing for IPFS and just making it like extend its benefits Basically, to, to everyone now, every storage protocol, everything, and solve some of these issues that currently plague IPFS and you know how it works today.
0: I'm really excited that this podcast, the Charlie Shrem Show, is now powered by Waxman. I think I met the CEO David Waxman back in 2015 or something at an Ethereum meetup, and he told me that the future belongs to the fearless. And that is why they are producing the show right by my side. What an amazing team we have now. It's so amazing. You guys have been hearing some great updates and following along. If you don't know, Waxman is the leading global strategy and communications firm advising the next generation of companies in Web3, disruptive technology, Bitcoin, crypto, fintech, artificial intelligence and venture capital. Waxman's clients are ambitious leaders and businesses that are on the frontier of this whole new economy because they really do believe that the future belongs to us and we're the ones building it. With services across everything from digital marketing, public relations, social media, investor relations, financial communications, recruiting, and public affairs, they're helping companies and individuals like myself seize the business opportunities that we deserve, overcome challenges that we all are gonna face and achieve sustained success. Head over to Waxman to learn more you guys are going to love them. We have them in the show notes. Check it all out. It's W-A-C-H-S-M-A-N.com. That's W-A-C-H-S-M-A-N.com. There's so many like really cool things that we want to be able to do with the Internet of Tomorrow, whether it's like play games or have processes that make our lives happier, make more money, do different things access tap into liquidity and capital that we have that's illiquid, debt market. There's so many different like ways that this will all make our lives better. And now it seems like crypto is doing is like it's taking some of these technologies that have existed, like IPFS and like you said, adding this incentivization layer allows for different technologies, networks, protocols that would in some ways compete with each other. It allows them to to be incentivized to connect with each other and to talk to each other. And all that benefits the end user, you and I, those who are using this. And, and, and so that's what's really cool. How did you learn so much about this?
1: A lot of it was just learning on the fly. What'd you do before? You know? Well, I was always you know, trying to start companies or startups. And, and so before Token Foundry, I was at a company called dust where I was early, and it was like all about crowdfunding. So that was when the Jobs Act came out, and everyone thought crowdfunding was going to be the next big thing. And I had always believed in decentralization and democratizing access to investment opportunities and stuff. That company actually got bought by Circle.
0: Oh my god, I remember seed invest. They were they were emailing t- to work with my company like years ago or something. I just I just looked it up in my Gmail. Yep.
1: Yeah. So basically, I had a ton of experience on crowdfunding regulations for crowd sales. So when Ethereum launched and the first use case was really crowd sales, that's where I had an idea like, huh, this is really what crowdfunding should have been. But there's obviously going to need to be like some rules and regulations and best practices put in. So that's when I uh, reached out to Joe and he was the only guy like funding yeah. Ethereum businesses back then. But we were both both based in New York. And so I pitched him like, hey, I could really take this experience. I had building Seedvest and build, you know, a legitimate, like, you know, token sale, ICO infrastructure and platform. But then I, well, obviously the market turned and after, you know, ICO started to go in the, go in the way, I knew we were going to have to pivot, but also... I just sort of realized I was more interested in the decentralizing the web narrative than I was like the decentralizing Wall Street narrative. But the problem was, it took a while for that side of the industry and that infrastructure to really like, like happen. And it's only really happened in the last year or so. But yeah, it's like a lot of the innovation and a lot of the protocols you saw launch in the like 2016, 17, 18 days we're all very much like smart contract and financial focused protocols and financial infrastructure focused protocols. But then as you saw breakthroughs and these technologies and things like, you know, zero knowledge proofs and things like that, it opened up the ability to now like apply these, these concepts that made Bitcoin great and Ethereum great to more like non-financial infrastructure. Like, telco infrastructure or web infrastructure and all the different pieces of the stack that make up the web. And so yeah, that's really what like you're starting to see now and with things like the Twitter files and like, you know, like people are starting to wake up to the fact that like yes, like <laughs> anything that's on like corporate owned infrastructure is just not safe. And it like I feel like in 10 years from now it'll seem crazy to build a web application or store your data if you're a company on corporate owned infrastructure rather than like trustless, decentralized, you know, sort of nobody owns it infrastructure.
0: Because the squeeze is slow. People don't realize we're seeing this now where the media, the mainstream media just can't and won't write about certain things. It's like conversations are taboo. It's like we don't need to go down this road, but it's definitely out there where where the squeeze is there, and and what we can say and how we say it and when we can say it, it's just getting squeezed. And and that's why I always say these podcasts are like the last form of independent media because I laugh. I'm sorry at people who watch mainstream media news like all these Fox News and CNN and all this bullshit because it's just corporate lies. I mean, I I, I laugh. I feel so bad. But it's like, what do you do? How do you start explaining to someone what's wrong with with the content that that is being sent to our eyeballs and earlobes every single day. I get really, really excited about what we're doing here because exactly what you just said. Down the road, any website that gets published, people look at, oh, I don't have a blog in Syria. They're not going to shut down my blog. But at the end of the day, they will. The internet as we know it today will not be as free and as open and, and as decentralized as it is today. In the future, corporate you know, like you say, corporate data storage will choose what they won't post and what they will host. And that's a very scary thing. But kind of bringing it back to today, you mentioned regulations. You, you, you saw the headwinds with that token foundry and you knew what was coming. The ICO market brought us some really great technologies, but we were ahead of the time on regulations and we're still ahead of the time on regulations. So when will those regulations freaking come already? Because I want to be excited about everything that we're building you know fleek i'm sure fleek you want to launch your token you everyone wants to be able to do things but we're scared there's no regulations out there we don't know what to do will just will it just be more enforcement or will good laws actually allow us to build some really cool technologies going into the next few years
1: i think eventually or hopefully you know we get some clarity but that's part of why we're doing what we're doing is a few parts but you Know one of the big things we're really trying to solve is the liability issue on these project founders oh. right now. That one of the biggest issues and one of the biggest areas where these projects are being attacked is at the interface layer, you know, where they kind of can see, like, okay, these smart contracts on Ethereum or whatever platform are kind of like decentralized and out of the founders or the project team's control, but they're still operating the website and the application and paying for the hosting and the domain name that serves as the main access point to the smart contracts or the protocol. And so if you've seen like enforcement against things like poly market, like the prediction market, like they didn't find them for the smart contracts, they find them for operating the front end that basically Um. sat on top of the smart contract. So and you seen, you know, the tornado Cash developer who's still sitting in jail nine months later without charges because, you know, he was the main like developer responsible for the interface or connected to it in some way. And so the main problem we're trying to solve for one of them is how do you get these front end applications that powered or, you know, are the main ways people are interacting with these smart contracts out of the control of these founders and into the control of these DAOs and like token holders. Yeah. And so that's where, you know, you need more decentralized web infrastructure to so you don't need reliance and you don't need an AWS account or a Cloudflare account or anything associated with an individual and all these things can be paid for, you know, on-chain via DAO in like crypto or stable coins or whatever. But yeah, the other part, like, I unfortunately think like you'll see a lot of uh, talented founders and projects probably um, move outside the US because it's just like, like that seems like it's unfortunate uh, and it's crazy and hopefully cooler and smarter heads prevail. But yeah, it's like, you got to jump through so many hoops and, you know, all this, These crazy things like, yeah, we're in the process of designing our token like like for Fleet Network and and all the things you have to do. It's really crazy. And I do think that, yeah, if you're a project who has no connection or tied to the US whatsoever, uh, your life's probably a lot easier and a, a lot less stressful.
0: I'm really excited about security tokens, right? And and I'd love to see a framework around security tokens and the ability to like have equity securitized cash flow and offer it to people in their wallets. That's so cool. And I and I want, but 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 a potential like fleek hypothetical fleek token, right? Or one of the Let's not use that as an example. But one of these other tokens that that really do create that incentivization layer, like you said, on top of these technologies. I mean, these technologies simply wouldn't work without the token. They're not securities, but so how? But obviously, I, me, like, if I have, if if someone offers me one, I'm gonna be like, yeah, I want one of those because there's a scarcity aspect to it. So obviously, you can't you can't force a an economic market to not emerge. It's like trying to like stop the flow of water. You can divert it, but you can't stop energy. So it's like. I don't know the answer. And I think a lot of the regulators are good people. and They don't know the answers either, to be honest.
1: Yeah. So I think like, you know, the problem is of the, you know, 12,000 tokens or however many there are today, probably a large percentage of those are security. And I think that muddies the water a little bit because there's there's so much bad and fraud and, and just like things that have gone on the last few years that it puts this dark cloud over everybody. But I do think for the more like infrastructure layer protocols that are actually building and providing legitimate services that hopefully those are okay. Obviously they could do things during the lead up to the launch or during the token selling process or distribution process that might trip them up. But I feel like if you know you're a good project and you're you're, you know, building something that's like legitimate and useful and, you know, you haven't scammed or rug pulled or stuff. I'm hopeful that, you know, those are deemed, you know, not securities and are actually kind of just treated as they are, which is these sort of utility tokens that perform some function within a network. So yeah, but it's definitely, I'd say, just making things a lot harder for a lot of teams and it's unfortunate.
0: So I think that could potentially be like event that kicks off another bull run. And I don't know what the solution will be or if it's like a one day solution, but there are a lot of ideas floated around, like some sort of like self-reporting mechanism where it's like an opt-in to a various like regulatory body, similar to like you have the FinCEN has MSBs, you know, anyone can just go and register as an MSB and start self-reporting, but then you're liable. Because if you have to sell, you have to report like suspicious reports and stuff like that. And if you don't, then you're federally on the hook. So maybe some sort of like utility token identifier, self-reporting mechanism. I'm not a fan of like, you know, having to report to the government, but you know, we're we're living in the U.S. And if you're starting to, there's people's money involved here, there should be some sort of, I don't know, just like, I don't know the answer. and I, And I don't think I'll yeah. ever become a CEO of a project. That has a token just because of this,
1: yeah, I mean, I think Masari is uh definitely like moving things in a good direction, like they offer some services to like a protocol where you know they can it's not like a government report or anything like that, but you know it's where the protocol shares information on unlocks or you know different token lockups or best thing or Like their treasury balance, and you know, things like that that could potentially, you know, set the foundation for what happens in the future. And you know, that could be, yeah, that could be something that's just a responsibility of the DAO. And you know, you have a department within the DAO, just like you have a grants department or a department focused on researching or developing the protocol that's just, you know, like a reporting committee or group, and they're just responsible for. Yeah. Disclosing information.
0: I yeah. just Googled Dow compliance and there's like already companies trying, like there's law firms that are offering like Dow compliance.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the lawyers are the ones making out. <laughs>
0: <best> <laughs> yeah, and, they really are.
1: Yeah. Cause it's crazy. I mean, the cost to stand up a protocol in today's regulatory environment is, you know, it's very but that's a
0: feature, not a bug. They want it to cost a lot of money because it weeds out projects that I don't it, we, it doesn't allow for like people to throw things at the wall to see what sticks it just you need to have money in advance it it definitely discourages the the creation of an invention of new technologies if you can't let people like just mess around and try to create something new I mean that's how some of our best inventions that we've had as as humans have been by mistake so I mean so that's yeah yeah but
1: I mean the only silver lining is it does seem like this has happened before, you know, with privacy technology back in the 90s where, you know, they wanted to make it illegal. And, you know, there's a few people who were made examples of back then. But eventually, you know, it kind of worked itself out. Um, so I am hopeful that, like, yes, this next few years might be a little tough and there's you know going to be some unfortunate circumstances or things that happen, but I feel like the US, like like their biggest advantage and why they I felt like stayed so ahead was like just how much of the internet and the big companies like of the internet era were US based. And so yeah, I think eventually or I'm hopeful eventually that things improve and the US becomes a friendly place to, you know, be a crypto entrepreneur or a web three entrepreneur. Maybe the election next year or who knows. But yeah. Or yeah, I think I think the good thing is crypto has enough attention and and, and buy in from the public that hopefully people start you know, almost becoming like single issue voters and start voting in people who are more friendly to to this space. And we're seeing it. Yeah, exactly.
0: Balance. Harrison, thank you so much for, for taking the time and coming on on the show today. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, no problem. This was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it.